9. And while you're going there, it's good, I think, to see tears in church. Never be ashamed if you have to cry in church. But some humor in church is not out of order either. There's a saying, even the best of men relish a little nonsense now and then. Don't you just love it when a superior gets outsmarted by the inferior? Don't underestimate the cleverness of children to circumvent a situation for their own advantage. Listen to this. A boy entered a barber shop and the barber whispered to his customer, this boy is not so bright. Watch what I prove it to you. The barber put a dollar in one hand and two quarters in the other. Then he called the boy over and asked, hey son, which do you want? I've got two pieces of money in one hand and one piece of money in the other. A dollar and two quarters. And the, son, the boy took the quarters and left the dollar. After the boy went out, the barber said, what did I tell you? The boy never learns. Later, when the customer left, he saw the same boy coming out of the ice cream shop. So he said, hey, son, may I ask you a question? Why did you take the quarter instead of the dollar bill? The boy licked his cone and replied, because the day that I take the dollar, the game is over. This would be funny, but actually, it's not so funny. The number of doctors in the United States is 700,000. Accidental deaths caused by physicians per year are 120,000. Accidental deaths per doctor is one, uh, 0.171. That's from the Department of Health and Human Services. Now, the number of gun owners in the United States is 80 million. You heard it right. That's with an M, million. The number of accidental gun deaths per year, all age groups considered, is 1,500. Deaths per gun owner is 0.0001. That's from the statistics of courtesy of the FBI. So, statistically, Doctors are approximately 9,000 times more dangerous than gun owners. Here's the conclusion. Guns don't kill people. Doctors do. Here's an additional fact. Not everyone has a gun, but almost everyone has at least one doctor. Please alert your friends to, these, to this alarming threat. Let's ban doctors before this gets completely out of control. There's a P.S. Out of concern for the public at large, I withheld statistics on lawyers for fear the shock might cause people to panic and seek medical attention by calling a doctor. Well, amen. Let's get to some more serious things. Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. By the way, that song we just heard, I love when there's a sermon in a song. That song 
have him had such a message. Praise the Lord. Amen. I appreciate the theme that we have here to go forward. Because we live in a fallen world, life is a struggle. Many struggle in this matter of going forward. And others struggle to go nowhere. That's because life is a struggle for everybody. But it takes more than good intentions to go forward in the right way. In our text, we'll meet three would-be disciples. All three made quite impressive professions. Do you not agree? Again and again, we experienced it today. Uh, notable, noble professions can be very hollow. When it comes to going forward, there are so many obstacles. There are hindrances. There are stumbling stones along the way that have to be overcome in order for us to keep going. And it's an amazing thing when it comes to Christianity, many of these stumbling blocks and things that hinder us from going forward are kinfolks. Let's read a portion of scripture here in Luke chapter 9. We're going to look at verse 57. Luke chapter 9, verse 57. And it came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. Lord, help us to see in this specific, amazing scripture, as all scriptures are. Help us to learn something from this and be inspired uh, to go further in spite of the hindrances of life. In Jesus' name, amen. Ah, but this first guy, he's quite sure he wanted to go forward in this idea of following Jesus. Well, that's something we could all say amen to. That's wonderful. I mean, he was ready to go wherever, anywhere, everywhere, following Jesus. And, and I want you to notice something, how the Lord indirectly reminded him of something important to consider. And because of him speaking, because the Bible says all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, that means what he said to this man is important for each one of us as well. What he was telling, what he said to him, merely was, uh, as you saw here in verse 58, foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. This guy had just said he's going to want wants to follow him. <laughs> want to go? Uh, so, well, as we go, keep your eyes open for bridges. We might have to sleep under a bridge. There's a price to pay in following Jesus. There are hardships to overcome. And, and those hardships cause people to actually stop going. There's a cost to consider. Um, in Luke chapter 14, Jesus said, somebody who wants to build a tower, does he not first sit down and count the cost whether we have able to finish it? 
in our in our area, there is there is a house, a beautiful foundation, and the house is uh, built. I mean, the rafters are up, and the, the sheeting part of the sheeting is on, but it's been that way for several years. Why? Because the the man applying for the loan for the bank had uh, falsified some information, and um, and when he was halfway through building that, not even halfway, <laughs> the bank pulled the money. So now it stands there and it looks pathetic. It looks sad because the, the boards are twisting because they're out in the weather where they were not meant to be. But this fella that we read about here in the text, he didn't wait to be asked or called. He volunteered. He boldly offered himself. In his self-confidence, he was eager to get going. He made a powerful statement of his commitment. But lo and behold, this man did not even know the meaning of what he said. And Jesus would point this out. I wonder how many times when we're leading somebody to the Lord, we uh, try to lead them, we try to get them to cross over the line by making the Christian life look so attractive. You become a Christian, you'll be on a bed of roses the rest of your life. Roses have thorns. Nineteen eighty-three, my wife Ida and I were thirty-three years old. That's hard to imagine looking at me now. I know, but uh, time does things to people. The the one comfort we have at growing older is at least all our peers are growing older too. Amen. So when you look at somebody and you say, well, uh, somebody you haven't seen for years, and you say, "Wow, they sure have aged." And just know, that's exactly what they're thinking about you. So, we were well established in the Amish, in an Amish, as an Amish family in the Amish religion. Our lives were governed by the tradition of the Amish church. The tradition that we hope to gain heaven, that is, to merit an entrance to heaven by the traditions. There's something about living, a, living by traditions. There's a comfort that comes from it. There's a security that comes from it. Although the Amish life is quite well structured, self-sufficient, you could say, with a heavy emphasis on doing good works, we know from the Bible that that is not a way of going to heaven. It is not some way of going to heaven. Because Jesus said he is the way, the life and the truth. No man cometh to the Father but by him. Did you know uh, your Amish friends do not talk? Have you noticed they don't talk about being saved? They may talk about religion. They may talk about some about the Bible but they don't talk about being saved because they don't believe in being saved now. Because how can you know that you're saved now when you haven't been at the judgment yet to find out if the, if the good outweighs the bad in your life? Their only hope 
of heaven is strictly measured by how well they tote the line of obeying the rules and the tradition of a 350-year-old religion. And I can point to religions in the world that are a lot older than that. Old doesn't make right. The Bible says, for as much as you, we know, uh, you know, you were not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold received uh, by the conversation of your fathers, received by the tradition of your fathers, but by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, a lamb without blemish and without spot. That's salvation. Yes, it was 1983 that the glorious light of the gospel shined into our hearts. Hallelujah. How thrilling. Oh, how glorious. How exciting. How liberating. No longer was it a hope-so religion, but a no-so religion. Hallelujah. As Lester Roloff would have said, hold my mule while I shout. There was no lack of ambition. Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest what the man said in a text here. Have you ever wondered, why did Jesus answer him in this way? Wasn't this giving a negative outlook of the Christian life? I mean, this is poor salesmanship, according to the instruction of the manual, how to make more sales. But if, you go, if, you're, if you're going to be successful in going forward, You've got to count the cost. And right from the get-go, Jesus wanted him to count the cost. Right from the beginning. Paul, on the Damascus Road, you know what happened. We won't go through the whole story. But uh, a great miracle happened. By the way, a great miracle happened when you and I got saved too. Thank God that salvation is free. But somebody had to pay the price. There is no Santa Claus. And salvation is free to us. But Jesus Christ paid the price for it. And the price of one man's salvation is worth more than all the treasures piled together in the world. But following Jesus, going forward, it's not a free ride. It's not free. It's not easy. You're not on easy street. Why did the Apostle Paul say, we're troubled on every side? That was after he got saved. But not distressed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. He didn't say we were, but we are. He was going through that constantly. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. We're cast down, but not destroyed. What does Proverbs say? The righteous man falls seven times, but he gets back up again. He keeps on going. The greatest disgrace is not in falling down. The greatest disgrace is in staying down and not getting back up again. What was going on here? Well, according to American religion, you could say, must be God doesn't love me, letting all these bad things happen in my life. A lot of bad things happened to Paul. I mean, he got whipped, 
with an inch of his life. Got stoned, they thought he was dead, threw him out of town. And he got back up again, brushed the dust off, went back to town, preached some more. I'm saying, was God not pleased with his life? So much persecution going on in his life? Yes, God was pleased. But Paul, what Paul was doing was going forward, and in going forward, you're going to have a lot of problems. And the devil hates people going forward. And so he can't stop you from getting saved, but he can sure throw obstacles in your path. I believe he's got the power to do that. Why did this happen? It's an amazing thing, though, and only God can do this. We couldn't do it. All things, for we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. So I want you to know when you're going through bad things in life, there's a purpose to it, and it's God's purpose. So, if I ever write a book, <laughs> it'd have to include the high cost of leaving the army. Let's look at the second guy here. The second would be disciple. That's in verse 59. Um, and he said unto another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. And Jesus said unto him, Let the dead bury the dead. But go thou and preach the kingdom of God. When's the last time you preached a sermon on that verse? I mean, come on. He simply wanted to. He simply wanted to take care of his dad. Now, it could have been his dad was still alive. And he said, let me, let me take care of some things, and as soon as I got this taken care of, I'm, I'm going to follow you. From the Old Testament history, we learned that the Jews took it very serious when a family member died. And there's so many days of mourning. And it was right that they did so. Actually, uh, God excused them from doing certain religious activities in order for them to take care of the dead. But here, it almost sounds that the Lord was rude to this man. Even uncaring. He did not care about, care about his father. Sounded harsh, you could say. How could end? Here's another question. How can dead bury? How can dead people bury dead people? Let the dead bury the dead. Like something. Doesn't really sound like something coming from the Lord. Sounds like Baptist preacher. <laughs> Let me suggest an answer to this question. What did it mean? How could the dead bury the dead? Let the spiritually dead bury the physically dead. The problem with this number two would-be disciple was his philosophy of me first. The me first philosophy. Oh, how prevalent that is in our country today. Not only in our country, but in our churches. I mean, as you bring your children up, don't let them grow up with that me first philosophy. Jesus pressed him. He pressed this man to declare what and who 
He was loyal to. And I should say this, any affairs of this world are mundane and take second place compared to the preaching of the kingdom of God, the preaching of the gospel. Everything takes second place to that. Jesus said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Two years after leaving the Amish church and religion, Ida's grandpa died. We knew this would be, oh, this would be a real test. This is the first time we were going to go back and see the family. This is the first time they would see us in non-Amish outfits. To an Amishman, their clothes is everything. In fact, many of them take great pride in their attire. This is about 50 miles away from us, and so we loaded the family up, and Ivan would have been 12 years old, the oldest of our children. And we went, we drove over to where the wake was in the evening. It was at the home. And when we opened the door and stepped inside, there was literally screaming arose from the room. It was Ida's mother. She had never seen her that way. And she, she went almost berserk. We found ourselves seats. We just sat down and her uncle came and spoke to me. He said, we want you to leave. Leave right now. And if you don't leave, we're prepared to throw you out. I leaned over and said to my wife, I've got to see this. Just stay seated. Well, aren't the Amish supposed to be non-resistant people? This would be one for the record books, I thought. But her aunt came in very gracious lady, and she just, she knelt down in front of us, and just please, she says, your mom is really, is losing it, and would you please just leave for the time being for right now, would you just leave? And uh, I wish so much later I would have said, we will leave as soon as you let my wife and the children see grandpa and great-grandpa for the children, we'll leave. But I said, yeah, we'll leave, and so we left. We left and went back home with orders not to come back for the funeral the next day, which we did. Next day, I was going driving down to Hannibal and I saw a hitchhiker. Uh, and I, I had a policy. I never picked up a hitchhiker with my wife and children alone. But when I was by myself, <laughs> I said, okay. I picked up the hitchhiker, told him my story, told him about the salvation plan. And in that car, he bowed his head and prayed for Christ to save him. You say, but preacher, didn't that make you mad? Your family treating you like that? No, but it sure left us with broken hearts. You see, these were family members. This were, these were not some weirdos from California. I mean, where they say some things and you say, what do I care? They, these were precious, dear 
people that were the closest to us. Never again would we spend a holiday, a Thanksgiving, or a Christmas get-together with them. And now, we're not even supposed to come to a funeral. These times were, there was so much pain in going forward. There's a price to pay in going forward. Speaking of death, two years later, in 1988, we've been out for four years. It was a cold December day, and the kids had been to school, and we just sat down, my wife and I were just ready to eat our lunch. And I said, oh, it is right 12 o'clock. This is when Paul Harvey comes on. How many of you remember Paul Harvey? Thanks for telling me your age. And <clears throat> so, so Paul Harvey came on, and he said, he started in like this. He said an 18-wheeler run over a horse and buggy near Peola, Indiana. The husband of the rig was thrown clear of the rig unhurt, but the mother of 11 children is dead. I jumped up from my chair. I said, my sister lives in Pe by Peoria, Indiana. And there's, she's got 11 children. And I said, no, it can't be her. Sat back down again. Got paced the, back up and paced the floor. And my wife said, well, you used to live there 13 years ago in the same area. And we had moved out. And my sister had stayed there. Why don't you call the, uh, the neighbor? You'd still have the number. I called the neighbor. I said, How's my sister and the family? And here's the answer. You mean you haven't heard? It was my sister. I never listened to Paul Harvey again without thinking of that story. In one sense, it would have been so easy because we, we did go to that funeral. And yes, we were there, but they sat us in a separate room. and We couldn't eat with the family. We couldn't... They, they, they made sure that we were properly shunned. And shunning is meant to really break you. And I'm saying, in one sense, it would have been so easy just to go back and tell them we're coming back because we want to be accepted. There's a desire, a strong desire within each one of us of being accepted. Oh, to be accepted by the ones we love. And folks, I remind you again, these were our loved ones. But that would have been going backwards, folks, and not forward. Not going forward. And thank God for sending a man into our lives. His name was Pastor Tim Stowe. He's with us this morning. And I thank God for him. How many times I've thanked God for you since, brother. Uh, Pastor Stowe, he walked with us through those valleys. He prayed with us. He wept with us. He took us by the hand, as it were, teaching us to go forward, showing us how to go forward and how to serve God. You see, for 14 years, I have been a... Been a I'm a school teacher, and that was something I did having had polio when I was a little kid, and, and there's a lot of things I was limited in doing. And then when we left the Amish, um, 
I, of course, couldn't be a primary school teacher anymore. And uh, having only an eighth grade education put a lot of limitations on me on the outside world as well. What was I going to do? I, as an Amish school teacher, I taught in three different states. And since there's nobody here to refute it, I'm just going to say it. I was, uh, I, I had quite a good reputation. And uh, I was put in some schools that were troubled schools. And I, and I lifted them back up again. But I lost it all when we made that change. Our kids went to public school for a little bit. So we found a Christian school. And a couple of the teachers that were um, teaching in school went to our church in Philadelphia. Also, the Philadelphia school, public school, it was sort of out in the country. Philadelphia had uh, about 50 people counting cats and dogs. And uh, so a couple of those teachers at our church said, Brother Yoda, you must have been a really good teacher. Because the kids that you sent to our school, coming from your school, are ahead of our kids in a lot of ways. Isn't that a surprise? So, she said, this teacher said, you ought to come and teach in our school. Boy, that put a smile on my face. I said, what time in the morning would you like me to be there? Oh, uh, no, you'd have to go to college for four years. You mean getting dumbed down like the rest of them? There's some things I never did understand. This second fellow, Jesus was emphasizing to him the priority, the priority in life. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And I, this would lead to another story, and I won't go into it, but God gave me a job in uh, hauling tourists, handling my own business, own wagon. We built it, and neighbors helped me, and uh, and uh, was a real blessing, something that I could do. Going forward, I learned trust in the Lord with all that heart and lean not into their own understanding in all the ways Trust in him. He'll direct that path. For this man, in our text here, the choice was family or going forward. Family or going forward. I wonder how many of these seats are empty this morning because somebody decided to put family ahead of ministry. And they're not here. For us, it was the choice of re-entering comfortably the cradle of tradition, letting it gently rock us to sleep for the rest of our lives. I could easily live the Amish life. I know exactly how to live it. Lived in it for 34 years. But it's not the way. It's not the way. And so the choice was for us to do that or to step out by faith, refusing to go with the flow, but to go forward to go forward, no matter the sacrifice. Yes, consider the cost, but trust in Christ and go forward. But let's look at the third fellow. This would-be disciple. In verse 61, And another said, 
Lord, I will follow thee. What's the next word? But let me first go bid them farewell which are at home at my house. Now, folks, what's wrong with saying goodbye to people? Well, in some cases, you go say goodbye to people, you're going to stay there. But he said, let me just go first. And Jesus said unto him, No man, having put his hand to the plow, and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Wow. Think about it. This was a good statement. He wanted to follow Jesus. However, there was a but in his statement. Think about this. I will but. Jesus is either Lord or he is not Lord in your life. He either is or he is not. A commitment with a but in it is not a commitment at all when it comes to the things of God. His family ties, his family ties were holding him back. Me thinks I know something about that struggle. Make no mistake about it. Jesus is for the family. Jesus is for strong families. He's for strong family ties. But the lesson for this follower and for all of us is to learn from the get-go that Jesus does demand an allegiance that exceeds all other relationships. Jesus calls for an allegiance that exceeds all other obligations. Jesus calls for an allegiance that exceeds all other, you fill the blank. Matthew chapter 10, an amazing, sharp scripture. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. You talk about hard preaching, that's hard preaching. And his preaching like that is what Jesus said. Many of his followers followed him no more. This matter of going forward is not an easy thing. And you're not doing your people a service when you lead somebody to the Lord and make them sound like it's such an easy thing to serve Christ. Yes, I know the way of the transgressor is hard. That's true. But serving Christ goes against what the flesh wants, and the flesh is something we have to deal with every day of our lives. And I'm saying, how many of you know people that you led to the Lord? I'm here to tell you today, I'll just make a confession. I led, I led a lot of people to the Lord that didn't get saved. But how many people have we seen come to church, excited about coming to church, and in a couple months, they're going, or a couple years, They've fallen away. Why? Because they didn't understand this principle. Foxes have holes. Birds of the air have, have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And he's the one that created the whole world. He could have created himself a castle to sleep in every night and it disappeared the next day. That was not his purpose in coming. I'm saying it is not easy to turn your back on those who are closest to you. 
It is not easy to turn your back on the traditions that you invested your whole life into. <laughs> but don't we have a claim to certain rights in life? I get so tired of hearing that. Well, I got a right to this. I got a right to that. Rights. Everything about rights. Following Jesus, folks, I'm telling you this morning, is signing away your rights of your own life. You've given them all to Jesus. And I'm saying, do it gladly. Do it willingly. Give it all to Christ. And don't look back. Read verse 62. Let's look at it again. And Jesus said unto him, No man, having put his hand to the plow, and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Someone wisely said, If you look back too much, you'll soon be headed that way. Soon be headed that way. I, I, you, you say, but I can't believe you, you would have done that because what a hard life. Hey, how many of you know that the, Egypt, that the Israelites kept looking back to Egypt, the land of slavery, and would have wanted to go back? It's our very nature to go back. If you look back too much, soon you'll be headed that way. Paul echoed this sentiment when he said, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth to those things which are before me. That's what he's reaching for. That's going forth. Press, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. By the way, that is a high calling. Hallelujah. Isn't it amazing that God calls dummies like you and me into the ministry? is so that we don't take the credit for it, so we don't take the glory for it. Yes. So, I'm saying that Paul understood this. And folks, that was Paul going forward when he said forgetting those things. Don't you think for a moment that it bothered him. It must have put, a, 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 must have pressed on his heart and hurt him when he thought about the fact that he, he sat and watched Stephen being stoned to death and, and approving of it. Now he thought of that later on. How could I have done that? Forgetting those things which are behind. There's some things you need to forget about your life because the devil dangles them in front of you trying to get you distracted from going forward. Don't let him do it. Too many today are following the wrong goal march. I never read this verse without thinking of a lesson that my dad taught me when I was a boy. And we were back in a field getting it started and every other year you had to start the furrow in the middle of the field otherwise it would always plow out to the edges and uh, so he said now in getting the line getting the furrow straight um, you look forward look at the other end find a mark there find a find a, a post or a tree or something that you can look and don't be looking back if you keep looking back you'll make it you'll you'll make a crooked line for sure and so he'd explain how to do this. And so uh, you find something there and put that. Uh, it was a team of horses I was driving. This is back in the 1800s. And uh, <clears throat> so said, you get that post or that tree right in the middle of the team. You keep, you keep your eye right on that. And when you get up at the end of it, you'll find out it was just right. So he chuckled a little bit and said, let me tell you a story. He told me this story. He told this story. 
that uh, he said one day there was a there there was a dad telling his son just what I'm telling you, and they were at the field ready to get started. They looked up. They thought about he thought about the son could take his hat up there. There was no post up there that, that stood out from the others. There was no tree there, no bush. He could have taken his hat and put it up on the fence on the other end of the field. It was a long ways off. But he said it just happens that there's a steer laying right there. And if you put that steer right in the center of your uh, uh, mark and you drive right toward the steer. And he said, you'll, you'll be just doing fine. And he said, now listen, I'm going to have to run. I'll be back in a couple hours to see how you're doing. And he left. When he came back, his mouth dropped open. He was shocked with what he saw. You see, there, was, there, was, uh, there were circles. There were triangles. There were rectangles of furrows in the field. There were zigzags. There were curves to nowhere. He said, son, what in the world have you done? He said, dad, I did just what you told me, but when I got halfway up the line, the steer got up and walked away, and I've been trying my best to follow him. Folks, every story like that has a moral. And the moral of this story surely has to be, be careful who or what you follow. The Bible says, Mark the perfect man, behold the upright, for the end of that man is peace. So, uh, make Jesus Christ your goalpost, and you won't make a fool out of yourself. And then you will go forward. So at the other end, you can say, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there's later for me a crown of righteousness that the righteous judge shall give unto me at that day, and not to me only, but to all them who love his appearing. Do you love his appearing? I want to hear that voice. A good and faithful servant. I've been faithful over a few things. Enter into the joy of thy Lord.